What is up, uh, Element Church, whether you're here in person or whether you are joining us via video somewhere today, so glad that you are with us. I do want to give a special welcome to our 6 p.m. service. I have to leave for Billings, Montana, following our 11 a.m. service for some denominational church meetings this week. Well, I'd love to be with you guys. I can't, but thankful for technology that I'm joining you, Lord willing, via video at the 6 p.m. service. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element Church. So glad that you are with us as well. We've got something coming up here in a few weeks. Uh, it's always a bunch of fun. On Sunday, uh, November 6th, we are doing what's called You Choose Sunday, where you select the songs and you select the sermon content by submitting questions that I'll do my best to answer. Any question goes, questions on faith, the Bible, uh, ministry, theology, whatever it is, I'll do my best to answer as many as I can. So if you go to our website, ElementChurchWY, Com, click on the You Choose graphic, looks just like the one on the screen here, and you can select the songs and submit any questions. My wife will be joining me on the stage as well, which is always a bunch of fun, so looking forward to that here in a few weeks. We're in the second week of a sermon series called Decision 2016, Escaping the Political Paranoia. And it doesn't matter where you turn, as Jared even said earlier, whether it's social media or the news or the newspaper, there's a massive amount of paranoia surrounding this election. I would even choose to use the word fear when it comes to the future of our country. There is great amounts of fear. And all of us have some kind of fears, right? Everybody has something they're afraid of. There, there might be some more common fears people have, like a fear of heights or a fear of flying. People are afraid of spiders. Uh, as you know, I am terrified of snakes. Uh, apparently, the Cleveland Browns and Carolina Panthers are afraid of winning. Who knew? Um, that was funny right there. A little mean, but that was funny right there. So, I found a list, I found a list of some unusual fears, okay? I wish I could share all of them with you. We don't have time to go through them, but these are real phobias that people have, and if you have this, any of these, I'm not poking fun at you. It just kind of was crazy to me that people are actually have fears of some of these things. For instance, uh, here, here's the first one. It's on the screen. Somnophobia is the fear of falling asleep. Can you imagine Having that fear and going to bed every night afraid of falling asleep, that's absolutely, absolutely crazy. This, this next one I think every teenager has, it's nomophobia, it's a real fear, it's the fear of not having mobile phone coverage. That's, that's real. You have teenagers, that's a real fear right there. Uh, uh, this next one, surprising to me, is pentherophobia, uh, no amens, okay? It's the fear of mother-in-laws. <laughs> that's funny. That's a real fear. Uh, no, don't look at your wife. Don't, whatever you do, don't look at your wife. Okay, uh, the, the next one, the next one is ablutophobia. Like every middle school boy has this, the fear of bathing, <laughs> right? Right, you know what I'm talking about? Ablutophobia. Uh, this next one, I won't even try to pronounce. It is a real phobia. It is not the fear of hippopotamuses. Ironically, this is the fear of long, long words. How cruel is that? Like, that is cruel to have that be the fear of, you know, pronounce what your fear is. You're afraid of it. Um, here, here's one, chromatophobia. It's the fear of money. If you have that fear, I'll take, gladly take it off your hands. You know, just hand it over, right? Uh, here, here's the last one, paniophobia. It's the fear of not having enough money. 
It's exactly what we're talking about today, by the way. <laughs> it's financial fears. Because one of the things I'm hearing most about the upcoming election is the fear over our economy. Will the stock market crash? Will taxes skyrocket? Like, how does the next president affect me financially, right? So Chapman University does an annual survey that lists the top 10 fears of the American people. In their most recent survey, out of the top 10 fears of American people, four out of the top 10, or 40%, had to do with money or the economy. Four of the top 10 fears are revolve around money. Now, all of us, all of us, me included, all of us, struggle to trust God financially. We all do. And the reality is, no matter how much a person has, there's always that lingering question in the back of our mind, do I have enough? Do I have enough for retirement? Do I have enough in savings? Do I have enough to buy what I want, to live the lifestyle I think I deserve? If they are elected, how is that going to affect me financially? And if you think about it, if you think about it, there's a reason why the Bible talks so much about money, and it does. The Bible is full of advice on money from beginning all the way to the end. And the reason the Bible talks so much about money is because money is talked about so much by us. Isn't that true? Like, one of the leading causes of divorce revolves around money. Four out of the top ten fears of American people revolve around money. So how do we combat this? Well, what's the solution? How do we escape this paranoia about not having enough money? So first off, we have to understand that money is not a bad thing, right? Money, in fact, is a necessary thing, and used in a godly way can be a beneficial thing to our lives. So money is not the problem. Money is not a bad thing. It's not bad if you have lots of money. Like God is not against the rich and for the poor. He does not have a preference either way. So, so the problem is, whether I'm rich or whether I'm poor, the problem is when I start to look to money as my source of security, strength, and hope. And you can do that whether you have lots of money or little money. It's not just the rich who put their trust in money, right? Like we all struggle with this in our lives. And the reality is we don't need an election to worry about money, do we? <laughs> like an election just exposes that fear or elevates that fear a bit more. So how do we truly trust God financially? How, how do we do that? I mean, it's easy to say, God, I trust you, but it's hard to live, right? Is it just me? It's hard to live financially in a way that trusts God. So how do we do that? Here's the big idea for today, and I hope this message will be an encouragement to you. You can write it down if you want to, that trust is not measured in what I say. It's measured in what I surrender. Trust is not measured in what I say. It's measured in what I surrender. So if I need to surrender and trust God financially, then this, we have to ask this big question, what do I need to surrender financially? What do I need to surrender financially to God? That when we wake up on Wednesday, November 9th, regardless of who is elected, there are some things that I think we need to do, regardless of who's president, regardless of the economy, 
that there are some things we do to trust God financially. The main scripture is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy 6 in the New Testament. If not, if you don't own a Bible, we'll give you one for free at guest services. Ask for one on your way out. You can use the Version Bible app as well or follow along on the screens today. Uh, that would be awesome. Before we jump in here, if you're here today and you don't believe in God, uh, you, are, you are not a follower of Jesus. First off, let me uh, tell you how excited and glad we are that you are here. We really are. There's no other place we'd rather you be than right here at our church today. And um, not only are you welcome here, but you're invited to be here, whether you believe what we believe or not. And while I do think that uh, what I'm teaching today would be a benefit to you if you put that into practice. It would improve your financial outlook. If you're here and you don't believe in God, you are literally off the hook today from this message. Like you actually have my permission to point at those of us who say we trust God and tell us he's talking to you today. Like you have my permission to judge us today, all right? You never heard that before in church probably in your life, but you have my permission to judge us who say we trust God. Also, if you're new here, while we do take an offering every Sunday, we talk about that in the service. Uh, this is the second time this year we've taken a sermon to teach on money. Typically we'll teach on it three or four times a year. Uh, every couple years we'll do a whole sermon series on money and stewardship and managing uh, resources. You just happen to come on the second time this year uh, that we're teaching on it. And that's not a bad thing. I think it's a great thing that you are here today. Trust is not measured in what I say. It's measured in what I surrender. So what do I need to surrender financially? Money is always a fun subject to teach on in church. You're all so thrilled you came to church today. Um, I hope that you're excited. So if you're, if you're ready, say ready. ready. Here we go. First Timothy 6 verse 17 says this, teach those who are rich. Everyone help me out and say rich. Sounds good, doesn't it? Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. And isn't that true? Like money is unreliable. So a guy named the Apostle Paul, we call him the Apostle Paul, is teaching a, a young man named Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world. And already a lot of us are thinking, whoo, he's not talking to me today. Because I ain't rich, right? Can I, can I tell you something? As Americans, the only reason we believe we're not rich is because we can always point to someone else who has more. And that's just truth. It's true. We say things like this. I sure wish I could drive a car like that. Sure wish I could have a house like that. Sure wish I had that much money. Very rarely, me included, do we look at someone else who has less than us and say, I am so rich. I'm so thankful for the car I have. I'm so thankful for the house I live in. I'm so thankful for the job that God gave me. If that didn't sting enough, this might. I'll let you know that if you make $12,000 a year, which would put you in under the poverty line by a long way, I believe. If you make $12,000 a year, you are in the top 15% of wage earners in the world. That at 12 grand a year, you are richer than 85% of the rest of the world. So, when God through the Apostle Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world, he's talking to about 99% of us in the room. 
okay? We're, we're richer than we believe or let on that we are. So the rest of verse 17 says this, teach those who are rich not to trust in their money. Their trust should be in God. Look at this, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Isn't that good? That trust is not measured in what I say, it's measured in what I surrender. So what do I need to surrender financially? The first thing is this, I need to surrender my place financially. I need to surrender my place financially. That, that, that I'm not going to trust what's in my hand. I'm going to trust the one who made my hands, who put what's in my hands in the first place. That to truly trust God financially, I surrender my place to him. That God, it's not my money to begin with. It's your money. You gave it to me, so I surrender it to you. You are my provision, God. So whatever you want me to do, however you want me to manage this money, God, it's all yours. I surrender my place financially to you. Matthew Henry, who's a brilliant theologian from a long, long time ago, uh, made this comment about this verse. It says this, Being rich in this world is wholly different from being rich towards God. Nothing is more uncertain than worldly wealth. That's what we just read. Those who are rich must see that God gives them their riches. That's all of us. And only he can give them to richly enjoy. For many have riches but enjoy them poorly, not having a heart to use them God's way. That's so good. So good. Now listen, God, this is huge. God will never ask us to do what he has not first determined is good for us to do, is beneficial for us to do. And I think it's encouraging that God, through the Apostle Paul, says we should trust God financially because he gives us all we need for our enjoyment. That even in the way God asks us to manage our money, it's for our good, our blessing, our favor, and our enjoyment. But that's not how we often view it. So often we view God's requests of us financially as a way he's limiting us financially. That God's trying to keep something from me or take something away from me when in reality he's trying to get something to me. For instance, take the one word that causes, I believe, the most confusion and the most controversy in the church, and you'll see how we misunderstand God's request of us. It's the one word, tithe. Okay? People run for the hills when they hear that word. The word tithe literally means tenth or ten percent. And tithing is the God-directed biblical principle that we need to return back to Him the first ten percent of everything that he provides to me through my income. And the reason that we tithe, beyond the fact that God says we should, and Jesus said we should, by the way, if you think that Jesus didn't talk about it, in Matthew 23, 23, you can look it up yourself, it's not on the screens, but these were his exact words. Jesus said, you should tithe. He commended 
the tithe to the Pharisees. But he said, don't just stop there. Okay, don't ignore the other parts of, of what God wants you to do, but you should tithe. So beyond the fact that we should do it, it's a way that we show God, I trust you. I love you. I surrender my position to you financially. So for me personally, on the 15th and 30th of every month when I get paid, the very first thing I do is return back to God the first 10% of everything that he's blessed me with through my income. I set it up automatically. I think it's the most important thing in my life financially I can do. So automatically through our push pay app, uh, I give back to God through our church 10% of whatever God has blessed me with. And, and it's, it's, it's a way that we say, God, okay, I, I, I trust you. But, but look, I want you to see what God says about the tithe. And I want you to see how easily we misunderstand what God's asking us to do. So Ma- Malachi 3, so many places we could look at. This is the most popular one. Malachi 3, verse 10. God says this to his people. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, if you tithe, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, he says. Put me to the test. Or in other words, God is saying, won't you trust me? Won't you trust me? Now listen, listen, okay? This is not an intimidation factor from God, which is how I have often preached this and how many people preach this. God is not saying, you better start tithing. It's not what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. It's an, it's an, an invitation. He's saying this, it's better to start tithing. Not you better start, but it's better in your life when you do this. Now, I don't know what your response to tithing is. I know that people's guard go up whenever the pastor talks about money, and I don't know how you respond to this whole controversial, confusing thing, but I really do hope to alleviate some concerns in us today. And for those of you who are faithful, generous tithers, givers to our church, so thankful for you guys, and I pray that you will also be encouraged in this, and maybe see this in a new way, a fresh way, an encouraging way. I don't know if you've ever seen this play out before in your life. If you are a parent, you've probably seen this. If you're a dad uh, with anybody that's older than like three years old, you, you've probably seen this. It goes, it goes down something like this, okay? You load up the whole family in the family minivan, and you're going to head out for a weekend getaway or for a short vacation. Your kids are thrilled because you have booked a hotel with a pool. If you have kids, just get the pool. That's all they need for hours on end. I don't understand how they do it. you got the pool. You're going to stop at the kid's favorite restaurant along the way. And your kids are so excited for this weekend getaway, this little vacation with the family. So you get on the road. Not 30 minutes down the road, the kids are zonked out in the back seat. You got like hours left in your drive, but they are completely asleep, fully trusting the fact that dad will get us where we need to go. So you get to the hotel, or no, you stop for lunch on the way. That's even better. Stop for lunch at your kid's favorite restaurant, which usually involves a burger in a box with a toy or pizza that tastes like cardboard. And you don't stop there because you want to. You stop there because you love seeing your kids delight in what you can give them. So you eat at their favorite restaurant. You get back on the road. You arrive at the hotel. You drag all your luggage up to the room. And, and the kids, not five minutes in, start begging, Dad, can we go to the pool? Dad, can we go to 
to the pool, and the last thing you want to do is go to the pool, but you love your kids, so you head on down to the pool. And dad threatens, like a good dad will, he threatens to wear his Speedo. He never does, but he threatens it, and the kids get all embarrassed and grossed out. And you should just, if you're a dad, just carry a Speedo with you. It's classic. Your kids will love you for it later on in life. But you get down there. You're in your regular swim trunks. Dad does a cannonball into the pool. The older kids jump in, but the youngest is unsure if they want to get in the pool. So, so they have their pool toys, they got their beach ball, they got, got their noodles, you know, maybe, maybe even they brought their goggles, right? So they got their, their beach ball, it's hard to preach like this, and they got their noodles, but they're not in the pool yet. So, so they're, they're, on the, they're right on the edge, right? And what does the dad do? The dad comes right over to the to the edge, he's like, puts his arms out, says, jump in, I'll catch you. I jump in, I promise I won't let you go under. Like, don't you want to be in the pool with dad? All right, I'm all ready to go. And the dad counts down, three, two, one. He gets back down, right? So dad goes back to playing with the other kids. They're splashing, they're having a great time, and Little ones just content being on the side with their pool toys. You've seen this, right? So the dad comes back over to the edge again. The child's standing there. You can tell they want to jump in. The dad spreads his arms out. Like, won't, you, won't you jump into the pool? Like, can't you see how much fun we're having? I don't want you to be all alone. I don't you want to be with me? I want to be with you. Okay, here we go. I'm going to count down. You're going to jump in. Right? I promise I won't let you go under. Three, two, one. <clears throat> I want you to think about this story for a second. 30 minutes into their drive on vacation, this child trusted their dad so much, they fell asleep going 80 miles an hour down a cement stretch of highway in a 2,000-pound metal container, fully trusting their dad that he would protect them and get them there safely. They arrive at a pool, at a hotel with a pool that was previously paid for, They had lunch at their favorite restaurant on the way. They got down to the pool with that loving, gracious, caring, protecting, providing father standing right there with his arms open wide, ready to catch them, but they wouldn't jump in. They're just content, playing with the pool toys on the side of the pool, never getting into the pool to experience it with their father. And that's exactly how so many Christians respond to God financially. We will think about this. We will trust God with our future eternity we cannot see. But we fail to trust him with our finances that are already in our hands. We trust him to forgive us of our sins, but we do not trust him enough to fully surrender our finances to him. We're like a kid at the pool, content with the pool toys, never jumping in to experience it in the arms of the Father. Now listen, okay? Tithing, this is so important, is not a legalistic requirement meant to keep us in bondage. It is a loving relationship meant to bless us beyond measure. But we have to view it that way. 
to view it that way. Until we, I believe this, okay? And you can disagree with me and I'll love you till the end. But until we tithe, until we surrender our place financially, we are nothing more than a child content with pool toys, never experiencing the pool with their father. And church, I want you to be in the pool. I want you to be in the pool. Is it scary? Absolutely it is. Is it risky? A hundred percent. But when it comes to money, I'd rather be in the pool held in my father's arms than on the side wondering what it's like to be in the pool. So can I challenge us with this? Okay, this applies to everyone. Will you start somewhere? Like if you're currently not giving anything, would you start giving something back to God? Just start somewhere. If you're giving something but you're not yet tithing, would you, would you take a step towards tithing or go all the way to the top? Jump in to the pool in your father's arms? It's, it's okay if that's where you're at. I understand. It's okay. All right. I mean, what happens sometimes when, when the kid won't jump in the pool? Will they get in the pool eventually? Yeah, but sometimes they'll slide in off the edge, right? That's okay. Sometimes they'll walk around to the stairs and they'll take the stairs in. Other times the dad comes all the way out and carries them into the pool. Maybe that's where you are. Okay, that's, that's where you're at financially. I get it. But here, here's the thing. What happens when the kid finally jumps in? They can't stop jumping. Why? Because once they jump in, they start to realize my dad will never ask me to do what's not in my best interest to do. And it's so much more fun when I'm jumping into my father's arms. <laughs> That's true financially as well. Trust is not measured in what I say. It's measured in what I surrender. So what do I need to surrender financially? I need to surrender my place, okay? That regardless of who is president, regardless of who's president, this is something we should do. That God, it's, it's yours in the first place. Number two is this. I need to surrender my plan financially. Got to surrender my plan financially. Verse 18 says this. Tell them, that's us rich people, to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And you might think we're going to talk about sharing with others. I'm not. I love the phrase, always being ready to share with others. Because to me, that seems to imply that those who are rich in this world, those who trust God, they have a plan in place so there's margin in their lives that gives them the ability to be ready to share with others. And quite honestly, for a lot of us, especially in our American kind of gotta-have-it society, the reason we're not able to share with others is we are not living with the right margin to do so. We've not yet surrendered our plan to the will and way of God. Like the Bible doesn't just talk about giving. People think that. that all the Bible talks about with money is giving. No, the Bible's packed full of financial advice about money. That the Bible, you know the Bible talks about debt? You know it does, right? Like when you choose to live on credit cards and loans, when you choose to finance your lifestyle, you are actually choosing to be a slave. You realize that? That's what the Bible says. Proverbs 22, verse 7, the borrower is servant to the lender. 
And yes, I understand we got to figure out what good debt is, what bad debt is. But essentially, when you finance a lifestyle that your cash flow cannot provide, what you are telling God is, I don't trust you to give me all I need. Woo! That's true. Hurts. Hurts, but it's true. The Bible teaches about saving, about investing, about budgeting, about planning, not just giving. And listen, I know, I know this is super, super difficult, this whole planning thing for a lot of us in the room. And, and so we want to help you, okay? We have a class coming up starting next Sunday, October 30th at 3 p.m. It's six weeks long. And we have somebody who is a, a professional finance person here in our community, volunteers at our church. They're teaching this class free of charge, six weeks long, that will walk you through what does it look like to have a budget, a plan, to invest, to save, to knock down debt in our lives. We have financial coaches, okay, financial professionals who volunteer their time in our church that will sit down with you for free and help you with a plan on your money. Trust is not measured in what I say. It's measured in what I surrender. So what do I need to surrender financially? My place. And then I need to surrender my, my plan. That we got to understand this. God's word concerning money doesn't change with every president. <laughs> God's word concerning money doesn't change whether the stock market's up or whether it's down, whether taxes are up or taxes are down. God's word remains the same. Here's my plan, God says. Will you live according to it? God surrender my plan to God. Then 1 Timothy 6, 19, Paul concludes by saying this. By doing this, doing what? By trusting God financially, by surrendering my place, surrendering my plan, by doing this, they, the rich, will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So here's the third and final thing i got to do to surrender to God. I need to surrender my perspective financially. got to surrender my perspective. What will happen if they are elected? Will the stock market crash? Will taxes skyrocket? What will happen to the Wyoming coal industry? Natural gas, oil, will that affect our local economy? Those are legitimate questions, by the way. Those are real concerns, okay? It's real stuff. I'm asking those questions. We should not ignore those things. But if that's where our focus is, our perspective is off. We, we are short-sighted. So our perspective needs to change when it comes to money. And here's the perspective shift, that there is something that happens on a spiritual level when I surrender financially to God. I'm not talking about in some way you're earning God's love or you're cornering God and forcing him to bless you. That's not possible. But there is a spiritual connection to our treasure, church. Jesus said that. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus says this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, thieves do not break in and steal. Then he says this, wherever your treasure is, and I think I have liberty to say this, wherever your finances are, there the desires of your heart will also be. So if my treasure is in the things of this world, that's where my 
heart's going to be. But when I surrender my place to God, when I surrender my plan to God, when I surrender my perspective to God, my eyes are no longer fixed on the here and now. My eyes are fixed on Him who holds me now. The one who's in control and richly gives me all I need for my enjoyment. Listen, I'm going to go back to tithing for a second. Tithing's not the end-all, be-all. We've made it out to be. Okay? But you can tithe and still be afraid. Amen? You can tithe and have a horrible plan for the other 90% that God trusted you with. You can tithe and have the wrong perspective. That's where I've been. That's where I've been. This is a spiritual battle in my own life. In fact, the last nine months, God has been rooting this out of my heart. I shared with you back, I believe it was back in May, I shared with you that I had to repent of my own personal perspective on tithing. Because I've, I've never not tithed, by the way. I've always, like since I was a kid, I was just raised that way. It's never been an issue for me. God, the first ten belongs to you. But earlier this year, like, I've been in the pool, but here's what I was doing. I was in the pool, held by my father, but I was pointing to the hotel adjacent that was better. Saying, well, why am I not in that hotel, God? It's a better pool over there. Not literally. You understand what I'm talking about, right? Like, God, I'm tithing. Why aren't you blessing me more? Or I was in my father's arms. I jump in the pool, and I would say things like, God, I'm tithing, but this water's cold. I want warmer water. And there's splashing and everything's in my face. Like, keep the splashing down. You're with me, right? But I, I was literally holding God hostage with my tithe. Woo! And literally, not audibly, but I just heard God speak to my heart. Do you trust me or not? Do you trust me? That yes, Jeff, I want you to tithe. I want you to be in the pool with me. I'm, it's an invitation to have me fully involved in your financial life. But I'm the one that decides what I richly give you for your enjoyment, not you. I'm the one that decides what the blessing is, not you. I'm the one that decides when there'll be splashing and when there won't be splashing. You just need to hold on to me. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And my conclusion with all of this is this. I'd rather be in the pool, held in my father's arms, than outside the pool, wondering what it's like to have my dad fully involved in my finances. So what's next for you? Because I think all of us in the room have a next step. That trust is not measured by what I say, it's measured by what I surrender. So for a lot of you, it's surrendering your place. That if you're not giving anything, maybe start giving something. If you're giving something, make a step toward the tithe. If you're tithing, ask God, Lord, what do you want from me? Like, I've jumped in the pool, but is there something more from me? Because giving does not stop at the tithe. Okay, right, That's the beginning of our true giving, I believe. And God opens the windows of heaven. So maybe you got to surrender your, your place. Maybe you need to surrender your plan. Maybe, maybe you're financing a lifestyle that your cash flow can't provide. And you're literally choosing to be a slave. So maybe you should go to the class on the 30th. 
Maybe you should get some financial coaching. I don't know. Maybe it's studying what God's word says. Okay, from this point forward, I've messed up. I've been there. I've messed up. I'm going to follow your plan from this point forward. Maybe it's a perspective shift like I need. God, I've been trying to hold you hostage. That's impossible. It just makes it a horrible time for me in the pool. I just want to trust you, God. Help, help me see the spiritual connection between me and you and how my finances play into that. But Lord, I just want to hold on to you in the pool. I don't know what your next step is, but I encourage you to take it today. Next week, we're talking about this. It's the last week of the series. We're going to talk about regardless of who is in office, what is my obligation to the office? It's going to be a challenging one, as every message has been, but I think a great one as well. I love you guys. Let me pray for you. And then Ryan's got some closing words. Lord, you're so good. Thanks for being good to us. Thanks for providing for us everything we need. Not everything we want or think we deserve, but what we need. Lord, help us to surrender to you. That trust is not measured in what I say, what I surrender. So Lord, I'm just saying again, as your child, I surrender. I want to jump into the pool and have you fully involved in my financial life. In Jesus' name, amen.